I'm sorry we're running a little late this morning. Uh, as you can see, the organ is empty, but we have Walter Jr. over on this side. I'm sorry. She, yeah, she is cuter than Walter. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, Walter called me this morning about 8 a.m. and said that he had a very high fever all night long and he's just washed out and he just could not make it this morning. So I thought, well, I can call Megan, but then I thought, you know, 8 o'clock, when we get here, if she wants to play a number or so, that's wonderful because she always helps out. But we can do a cappello and... Uh, uh, that would be just fine. But while we were in Sunday school, I heard some beautiful piano music, and I knew she was already on the ball. So thanks to Nancy. Nancy got, got the word to her. So uh, we are going to sing the two hymns, the first two hymns that uh, are listed in the bulletin. But the last one, Holy, 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 is going to be replaced by Great is Thy Faithfulness. So do you know the number on that one? Four, 43, okay, 43, okay, so we'll do that when we, time comes. I have a few announcements here to make. Uh, Mel gave me a, a, a card last Sunday that, he, uh, did I, am I still on? Okay. Uh, the church is in E-Town, now not just... Not just a brother in church in E-Town, but the churches in E-Town are trying to reach out to all the homes in E-Town uh, concerning Christ and his effect on, on their lives. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to take and try and visit as many homes as they can, and they're going to pass out gospel literature uh, and also a copy of the Jesus film. And it also, at that point, give them an invitation to come to church, whichever church they want to visit. Um, and Mel was wondering whether we would might white. Mel was wondering if we, our congregation, would like to participate in such a thing. So let's think about it. They're going to do this uh, on Saturday, March 28th. We don't have to do it on that Sunday or that Saturday, but if we could possibly pull something together and just do our little hamlet here, it would be a big thing for our church. So let's think about it, and we'll see what we can come up with. So those of you who have the years turning, pull some other people in, and we'll see what we can do with this. This is a good idea. This is a good idea. And like I said, it's all the churches in E-Town. There's a combined effort that they're trying to do, because E-Town's a pretty big town, and uh, they're going to try and hit as many homes as they can. On another note, uh, Easter is coming already. Here's the first day of March. Can you believe it already? First day of March. And Easter is coming. So Nancy has had uh, sheets printed up. Uh, we can uh, ask the congregation to uh, supply the, the sanctuary here with uh, flowers they have Azaleas, chrysanthemums, some of them I can't read. I don't know what they are. Cinerea, is that right, Nancy's? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's only, it's only one thing. Daffodils, hyacinths, hydrangeas, lilies, uh, bluebells, and tulips. And then the prices are listed. And I think you have a sign-up sign sheet in the back? Okay. And then uh, you can uh, make the check payable to the church, uh, to the, uh, let's see, to the Nehemiah Fund. And then uh, Nancy will take the responsibility of uh, getting those flowers together. So, uh, Nancy, I'm going to give this right back to you. Okay, so you have it. And then on another note, do you remember we did our baby bottle boomerang there a couple weeks ago? Well, we got a towie sheet. We had 19 bottles filled for a total of $568.77. So that's pretty good. Congratulations. That's really nice. I'm sure uh, Align will really be happy with that. And uh, we're, of course, going to do it again next year. So keep that in mind. But that's, congratulations. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And uh, if you ask for a a tally for your taxes, they will supply that for you, or they did supply that for you, and uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Nancy, you want this back, please? Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be good. That would be good. Okay. I think, I think we have things in line. So then we can go sharing our joys and concerns. So let's do that at this time. Christine, do you have any updates? Oh, okay. experiencing some vertigo and uh, so she's back here yep I see her oh wow yeah wow wow yeah that's great praise God that's right. So Helen was so excited. Good. Yeah. Do you want to say something, Helen? Let me get back there with the microphone. Yeah. I went in to see my lung doctor, and he was all smiles. And I never had a smiling doctor. And <laughs> So I really didn't know what was going on, and he showed me the x-ray from last time and to this time, and I still have some fluid in the sac around my heart, and I also still have fluid in my lungs, but not to the degree where they're going to do anything. 
So the, the fluid's still there, it's just not getting any, any <laughs> bore, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it seems to be on its own level right now. Great. So thank you for your prayers that work. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Prayers do work. There's that. Mel. Yeah, our concerns were with uh, Amy, and she she's on, um, they're trying different vitamin supplements now and going that route. Okay. And I forgot to mention last week, we had food items for Super, yeah, yeah, super, super, super Bowl. Yeah. Super Bowl. Anyway, I, I took that to Jubilee, and uh, they were glad for that. And then I, I asked, now, what is this for? What do you do? And they have a kitchen in Lebanon where they'll take in uh, <clears throat> uh, people that well, get out of jail, yeah. in like a halfway house, and uh -huh. they have a kitchen to feed these people and help them get up back on their feet. Good. So that's what they do with these food items and whether we want to, can we continue to do this once a year or maybe once a quarter or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah. But that's to mention where this goes and what it's for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because uh, Jubilee, I didn't know. I'm familiar with the uh, rescue mission, but I didn't know Jubilee was doing that. That's good. That's good. I'd like prayer for Ken. He had an operation on his outer ear. It was cancer, and they grafted a piece of skin on, and it's all bandaged up. So he has to keep that on until Thursday. Okay. So uh, we'd like prayer if everything feels okay. Okay. All right. Definitely. Owen, did I see you have your hand up? Now, you're not going to pass this to your mother, are you? Okay. Today's Papa's birthday. Today. No. Wednesday. Wednesday is Stan's birthday. You're going to have a hard time getting me out. <laughs> you're not going to go out for your birthday dinner. It's the anniversary of the day he was born. Yeah, the anniversary. Yeah, the anniversary of the day he was born. Okay, okay. Do we have two other birthdays, don't we? Does Todd have one? Todd has one coming up. And, uh, oh, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, all right. That's right, yeah. That's right. If you would have been born on leap year day, you'd only be a quarter of what you really are. Yeah, we had a lady in Mount Gretna that was born on leap year day, and she, what, she celebrated her 17th birthday or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Paul. I have a story to tell you. <laughs> what I like about this story, I think uh, God had a hand in it, and it turned out to be a miracle. And this happened last Sunday after church. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, I'm standing down at the vestibule of the door, and, and here comes uh, Walter. 
So I open the door and he comes out and I follow him out to the car and I'm going to help him get in the car. But I, I had my I had my, I had my Bible in my hand and I wanted to fold up the the walker and Walter showed me the buttons but I had a hand I had to leave my Bible down so I laid it on the trunk. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what? Anyway, I folded, folded up the walker and shut the door and uh, Walter got in his car and we were talking there a little bit. And uh, so we got done talking and I sh shut the door and turned around and walked in this church. Uh, what did I do with my Bible? <laughs> yeah, I left it on the trunk. <laughs> so I opened the door and looked out and there was no Walter. <laughs> well, that was okay. <laughs> we'll probably, which way, which way did Walter go home, all right? Well, that'll be no problem. It's going to slide off before he even gets to, to Bachmanville. So anyhow, we go to Bachmanville and uh, turned right. It can't be far. So anyhow, we drove the whole way to Colbert Road and no Bible. So we come back to Bachmanville and turned right. And uh, maybe Walter went this way. So we kept driving and driving and next we were coming to Upper Lawn. So we go straight through, we're going towards Lawn and Christine says, I think I saw something black. <laughs> so we turned around, come back to Upper Lawn and turned right, no Bible. <laughs> so now we're going toward Colebrook. So we headed for Colebrook, looking and looking and looking, and now, now we're getting to Mount Gretna Road, right? Now we know Walter went this way for sure. So we keep driving and driving next year at Walter's house. And uh, we're looking for Walter's car, right? Walter didn't get here yet. <laughs> so now what do we do? <laughs> so we sat there a little bit. And uh, well, maybe Mike and Linda will find it when they go home, right? So that's the end of that. So, uh, I don't remember we're, we're at home now and the days are going by and I don't think I thought anything about the Bible because Mike and Linda might have it, right? So anyhow, we're around out the house Friday and the phone rang. The phone is always ringing, right? And we get these calls and nobody leaves a message. So Christine picked up the phone. I'm in the living room and the phone's out in the kitchen. So she answers the phone and after a while I hear all this laughing and laughing. And <laughs> anyway, it was Walter. And Walter says, Christine, are you and Paul missing something? I said, yes. I said, I don't believe it. 
it's a miracle. You found the Bible. That Bible stayed on the top of that trunk, his way from here to Mount Gretna. He had put his car in the garage when he got home. I thought maybe I didn't know that Peter was home. I thought he was still at Mount Pleasant. I thought, well, maybe Walter went to Mount Pleasant to visit Peter and wouldn't be home. So we, I didn't get out and go in. He said, oh, you should have come in. But anyhow, Walter did not know that Bible was on there all this time. They go out to go to the doctor. And Peter says to Walter, what's on the back of your trunk? On the top of your trunk, what is that? Walter Walter said, I have no idea. So it stayed on there that whole time. I mean, what a blessing. I mean, it, it's funny. It, and then I'm thinking, oh, my golly. He had to be the best driver of all <laughs> to go from here to Mount Gretna. Bible on his trunk, never lost it. Tells me he was a very safe driver. But it also a miracle. How, how could that happened you know but it was just so fun I just laughed and laughed he was laughing I was laughing it's like oh I don't believe this <laughs> anyway I can imagine Walter doesn't drive too fast <laughs> but still so stay on the trunk that is a miracle that is a miracle yes God didn't want you to lose his word yes absolutely absolutely Oh, absolutely. God is good. Better than we can imagine. Yep. Like the song says, I can only imagine. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you certainly are the God of goodness. You could not be any good if you weren't that God. Lord, thank you so much for the wonderful things that you do for us. Things that we just pass over and you always have a hand in it. Thank you, Lord. What a blessing you are to us. Lord, as you know, we've, we've had some good reports. Helen has a good report. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you. Only proves that our talking to you is, is productive. It's not a waste of time. It is what we should do and what you want us to do. And therefore, you always listen. But persistent prayer is a thing that is positive. Thank you, Lord. Lord, there is so many people in this world that, that need your help. And we don't know the vast, vast majority of them. But Lord, you know. We pray especially for the people in Nigeria. Oh, what a, a terrible situation they are experiencing. And what can we do but pray and hope that you will intercede? Lord, they need your help. Thank you for being the one that will care about them. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for all the wonderful things you do for us. And thank you for hearing our prayers about the sick. And thank you for hearing the prayers that we don't even verbalize. Because you are always here.
You are always in every place. We can't avoid you. You're always with us. And that is a fact that we should never, never forget. We can't hide from you, and we should never want to hide from you. Help us, Lord, as we go through our lives. Lord, we pray for this congregation. This is a congregation that loves each other. It's close-knit. And we want to help those around us. Help us to do so, Lord. Lord, bless those that are having birthdays and having anniversaries. What a joyous time. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, especially for Megan, who steps in and helps us when we so need her. She is certainly a blessing to this congregation. Her whole family is a blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for them. Now, Lord, stay with us as we go through our day. Stay with us as we go through the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Megan, do you know that little song? Be seated. Well, I think I'm resigned to the fact that we're not getting any snow this year. Oh, hallelujah. So who said that? Did you say that, Nancy? Oh, I love the snow. Oh, I do. I like it. Oh, yeah, and I saw the 15-day forecast. They're saying mid-50s, low 60s, so... <laughs> Does that mean we're going to get snow? Do you know something I don't know? Uh, anyway, well, let's pray here before we start. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the sunshine. Lord, we certainly don't um, mean to, to be um, unappreciative, or I should say I don't mean to be unappreciative of the, the beautiful weather that you've given us, but uh, just merely we love to, to see the um, variety um, that you have created and blessed us with. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning, uh, this time together. We ask that you would... Um, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we draw closer to Easter, um, hard to believe, but we are in March now. So as we draw closer to Easter, one of the themes that I want to focus on is the fact that we can do nothing to earn forgiveness. And I talked about that last week. Um, you know, we can do nothing to earn salvation. We can do nothing to earn our way into eternal life. And we can do nothing to earn those things because they've already been freely given to us by Jesus. And so two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And what he did for his disciples was a picture of what he was going to do for all persons who come to him on a cross. He's forgiven us before we ever commit sin. And I mentioned two weeks ago, this is hard to grasp. It's... it's it, it just seems so countercultural, But it must be true, for we read in Hebrews 10, verse 6, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In Romans 6, 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The sacrifice of Jesus is once for all. He died to sin once for all. 
Christ suffered once for sins. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. It is sufficient for our sin, all of it. From the first sin committed to the last, from my first sin to my last, from your first sin to your last sin, we've been forgiven before we even commit that sin. And my hope is that as we come to celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior, that we're mindful of these things. Our incredible need and our incredible lack of ability to meet that need. And then also the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice and the riches that are found in Him. And so beginning in verse 1, chapter 14, if you'd like to turn there, John 14, beginning with verse 1. You remember two weeks ago we were in chapter 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So here we are, same scene. Right? Jesus has finished washing the disciples' feet, and here we are, he's still talking to them. And he says in verse 1, let, excuse me, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God and believe in me. And so the context here, it's not hard to see why Jesus says this to his disciples. For the past three years, they've been following him everywhere. Right, seeing many miraculous signs all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. They were hearing about this coming kingdom. And they were filled with hope that Jesus was the promised Messiah. That he would liberate the nation of Israel from its political bondage. But now their hearts and minds were surely in turmoil. Jesus had just told them that there was a traitor in their midst. And not only that, he was telling them that he's about to depart to a place where they could neither follow nor help him. And that Peter... Yes, Peter, perhaps the most, or perhaps the de facto leader of the disciples, Peter was going to deny Jesus three times in just a few short hours. The second thing that's worth noting about this verse is that the verb that Jesus uses here is a passive verb. He says, let your hearts, excuse me, let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, he's saying, set your troubled hearts at rest. Now, we don't usually play an active role in the troubling of our own hearts. Rather, things happen in life that cause our hearts to be troubled and downcast. And so Jesus knew that what he had said to his disciples had upset them deeply. It had caused their hearts to be troubled. And sometimes our hearts can become troubled. Things happen in life that upset us. And it's okay to be upset about something. It's perfectly fine. But Jesus doesn't want to leave us there, nor did he want to leave his disciples there in despair. Rather, he wanted to give them hope. He wants to give us the same hope. And so what is the solution to a troubled heart that Jesus proposes to his disciples? He says, well, believe in God and believe in me. It sounds very similar to Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Belief and hope in God is a means to quiet our troubled hearts. And I'd even go a step further and say this. I believe that belief and hope in God is a gift that God... Excuse me, let me reread that. I believe that belief and hope in God is a gift from God that I myself do not deserve. Verse 2, 
In my father's house there are many rooms. If that were not the case, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? The riches of God's kingdom are on full display in this verse. The image, the imagery that Jesus uses here could refer to a mansion of sorts with various living quarters, rooms. It may refer to heaven as God's dwelling place where there are countless places of rest. Um, the emphasis of the Greek word mane, which we translate as room, it means a permanent abode rather than a temporary living space. There is a permanent abode, mansion, castle, something like that, where Jesus is going so that he can prepare it for all of his followers. He is departing the earth for heaven so that he can prepare it. And so try to imagine how big and magnificent such a place must be where all the followers of Jesus will be at some point. And it, excuse me, in case any of his disciples are questioning whether or not this is really the case, Jesus adds this conditional statement to the end of it. He says, if it were not the case that there are many rooms in my father's house, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, if I tell you that I'm going to prepare a place for you, then there is surely a place like that. And I'm going there to prepare it just for you. If there was not, then I'd be lying. But we know that God does not lie, so there must surely be a place like this for us that we are all going to. And so the incredible riches of God are given to us undeservedly. Verse 3, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And some translations say, if I go and prepare a place for you, rather than saying, when I go and prepare a place for you. I personally think it's more likely that the correct reading here is when, when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And I think that's the correct reading precisely because there's no uncertainty here about Jesus going to prepare a place for us. He already stated the fact that he is going to prepare a place for us in verse 2. And now in verse 3, he's telling his disciples what will happen after he prepares a place for us. That is, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Now this is, I, I will say, a, a difficult verse to fully express uh, in English. The, the coming again here obviously refers to his second coming. Um, the second verb, that is, Jesus says, I will come again, referring to his second coming. And then the second verb, will take you, was commonly used to refer, the Greek word actually that's used here, uh, is commonly used to refer to a husband taking his wife into his home to live in a relationship with one another. So there is just a, a whole lot of meaning here in this one simple verb. Now I, I do see a strong parallel here in this verse with John 1.1 because John uses the exact same word 
in verse 1, 1 to, um, and that verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John uses the same verb here, or John uses the same verb in verse 1, 1 to express the fact that the Word of God has existed beside the Father in a relationship with Him. And then in this verse, Jesus is using the same word to express the fact that he will come again and he will take us to live in a relationship with him. So there's just a whole lot of meaning here in this verse, and it's beautiful. In the last part of the verse, it expresses that fact. Why is he coming again? Excuse me, why is he coming again to take us into his home? So that we may be with him, and so that we may live in relationship with him for an eternity. And you remember, we've talked about this before, we were once living in a relationship with God. Mankind was once living in a relationship with God. Jesus came to restore that relationship. And he's coming again to take us with him so that we might live eternally in a relationship with God. And so imagine, just for a moment, what it will be like in the Father's house. Imagine being with God, living in the light of perfection. Pure love filling our hearts and our minds and our relationships with others. Our family members being with us. Worshiping and sharing meals with the saints of the past. I mean, imagine having conversations with Martin Luther, John Calvin, Billy Graham, Augustine, George Washington, Peter and Paul and so many others. Imagine hearing, this, imagine hearing the very story from Mary and Martha themselves telling us what it was like that Sunday morning when the tomb was empty. Let's go to verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. And this is perhaps easy for us to understand the meaning of this verse. Now... It's easy for us to understand it now, but when you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, it's easy to understand their confusion. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? In other words, Thomas is saying this, Lord, if we don't know your destination, how can we be expected to know the way there? Remember, the disciples were focused on a Messiah that would come to liberate the Jewish people from political oppression. That was their thought. They thought that Jesus was going to liberate the nation of Israel from its Roman oppressors. Now it seems reasonable to think that they were focused on earthly things rather than heavenly things. What road or way are you going to take, Lord? We know all of the roads from Galilee to Jerusalem, so which one are you going to take? Just tell us and we'll follow you. And now we come to perhaps one of my Favorite verses in the entire Bible. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way that you are referring to, Thomas, that road that you are seeking, I myself am that way. I myself am the truth. I myself am the life. I'm going to talk a little bit about grammar. (laughs) 
I hope I don't bore you. I'll be quick, but I think it's important, so just stay with me here. Has anybody ever heard the term of an abstract noun? We know what they are. Okay. An abstract noun. It's a word that's used to name an idea, something that's not concrete or material. Bill, you should get this. You work with concrete all the time, right? <laughs> an abstract noun. It's naming an idea that's not concrete or material in nature. So examples of abstract nouns. Hope, joy, love, peace. Those things are not concrete, right? They're not material in nature. In other words, we can't walk outside and pick up and hold in our hands hope or joy, or love, or peace, like we can a flower, or a chair, or an offering basket right here, or a shovel. I believe what Jesus is saying is this. Those abstract nouns, the way, the truth, and the life, they find a concreteness in me. Thus, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I think this makes sense because later on in John's gospel, Jesus is standing before Pilate. And we'll get to this in a few weeks. And Pilate asks him a profound question. And some of you probably know that question. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? In other words, what is truth? Because it's not something that I can grab a hold of and cling to. Rather, truth is this abstract idea that may mean one thing to you and one thing to me, sir. And so, uh, you know, well, what is truth? The truth was standing before you, Pilate. Truth is embodied in Jesus. The way to God is embodied in Jesus. The life of God is embodied in Jesus. And there's also something else that stands out in this verse. And it's something that some people find very offensive. And I've mentioned before that Scripture is just as much about what it does not say as it is about what it does say. And notice what Jesus does not say in this verse. He does not say, I am a way and a truth and a life. For that would mean that there are at least two ways and two truths and two lives. And Jesus doesn't say that. Rather, he says, I am the way and the life and the truth. And so there are two ways that we can understand the uses of the word the. Now, Jesus can be using the word the in a par excellence sense, and that just means it's a superlative. It's the best. In other words, he might be saying, I am the best way and the best truth and the best life. Or he might be using the word the in what's called a monadic sense, which means one of a kind, unique. In other words, he might be saying, I am the only way and the only truth and the only life. And so wherever you come out on that, it is somewhat secondary to the main emphasis that Jesus is making. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Now, this, this is offensive. This is offensive to a world that wants there to be many ways to salvation. 
But the plain meaning of this verse, it is hard to overlook. A person is not getting to the Father unless they come to Jesus. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is inclusive, meaning that Christ's message of salvation is for all people. But it is exclusive in the sense that only the persons who come to Christ will receive eternal life. There's no other way. Verse 7, If you have come to me, you will know my Father also. From now on you are beginning to know him. And so to know the Son is to know the Father. No one has ever seen the Father, but the Father has displayed his glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his Son. In other words, we know the Father by knowing Jesus. We know what the Father's intentions are by knowing Jesus. And what are the Father's intentions? Well, He intended to save us because of His great love for us. He intended to die on our behalf for our sins. He intended to do what we could not do. He intended to reunite us with Himself. He has prepared a place for us. He will come back for us. He will take us to be there with Him. His mansion has many, many rooms and we'll be together with Him for an eternity. And I said that when I began this sermon that my hope for the next few weeks is that as we come to celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior, that we're mindful of these things, our incredible need and our incredible lack of ability to meet that need, and the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, and the riches that are found in Him. Not earthly riches, but eternal, heavenly riches that are waiting for us. Our incredible need for a Savior is real. We have fallen so far from God that we are totally helpless. There is absolutely no way that we can possibly earn our way back to God. We try to convince ourselves that we're doing a good job in the Christian life on our own, but we're reminded of our sinful natures every day. We continue to make mistakes. Like Paul said in Romans, I do not do the things that I want to do. Rather, I do the very things that I do not want to do. Save me from this wretchedness. Who's been there before? I certainly have. The sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice is real. He died once for sin. All sin. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, says in 1 Peter, he wrote this, chapter 3, verse 18, Christ died once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous. The sacrifice of Jesus is enough for my sins and your sins and for all sin. It's enough for the sins that I'm going to commit next week, next month, next year, ten years from now. The sacrifice of Jesus is enough for the sins that you will commit next week, next month, next year, ten years from now. The incredible riches found in Christ Jesus are hard to fathom. Not only have we been forgiven for all that we have done or ever will do, 
That is unbelievable as it is. But we have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is what Martin Luther called the double imputation of sin. Has anybody ever heard that? The double imputation of sin, Martin Luther. You've heard of Martin Luther, I assume, right? Okay. This is it, it, the double imputation of sin. Martin Luther said, this is so profound that it's almost too wonderful for me to even believe. In other words, in other words he said, I, I almost struggle to believe this. And what he's saying is, our sin, the sins that we have committed, have been imputed to Christ. They've been put on Christ. And in return, Christ has imputed his righteousness to us. That's the, the double imputation of sin. So our sin has been placed on Christ. His righteousness has been placed on us. This is what Martin Luther said. This is almost too unbelievable. It's too wonderful to believe. He did believe it, but he was just expressing the fact that this is so wonderful. I appreciate the words of, of this hymn. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love. I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you. The riches of forgiveness and salvation don't just stop there. There are also the riches of eternal life. The riches of a mansion so big and so grand and so wonderful that all of the saints will be able to live together in perfect love to God and to one another, fellowshipping with God and each other, fellowshipping with our loved ones who have gone before us. No needs, no wants, everything provided for by the Lord himself. This is what is available to all who will come to Christ. All we have to do is come to Christ and say, Lord, I receive what you have already done for me and the riches that you have prepared for me. I cast myself upon you. There was a famous French mathematician and scientist in the 17th century, and his name was Blaise Pascal. Has anybody ever heard that name, Blaise Pascal? He was, by all historical accounts, a genius, child prodigy, um, died tragically at, at a young age in his mid-30s of, um, of an illness. He was a, had, I guess would, would the right word be, um, not terminal, but he was ill from the moment he was born. He had a, a lot of problems, but he was, he was a genius, brilliant. Um, brilliant scientist. Some of his discoveries are still with us today. Um, but before his life ended in his mid-30s, early to mid-30s, he wrote what has come to be known as Pascal's Wager. Um, has anybody heard of Pascal's Wager? Oh, it's a wonderful um, tool to use when you're witnessing to someone. In other words, what, what he says is this. This is the wager. If I wager that God exists and he does not, then I only suffer a finite loss. And so what he means is, if it would be the case that God does not exist, but I choose to believe that he does, right? So just for sake of argumentation, we just say, well, God does not exist, but we're all choosing to believe that that's the case. Then my loss 
Blaise Pascal says, is simply finite, meaning it's, it's a temporary loss because everyone ends up going to the same place anyway, right? Well, if there's no God, then we're all just going to the grave. So we're only just missing out on this finite life that we're living here. I'm only losing out on a temporary life of pleasure. But if I wager that God does not exist, and he does, then I suffer an eternal loss. In other words, if it is the case that God does exist, but I choose to believe that he does not, then my loss is eternal because we don't all end up going to the same place. Rather, some go to the eternal riches of God's heavenly kingdom, while others go to eternal separation from God. I'm risking an eternal life of pleasure with God. And so according to, to Pascal, this is what he says is, is, is the wager. No sensible person, this is what he says, no sensible person would ever choose to believe that God does not exist simply because there's too much to be gained by believing in him. Does that make sense? Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us and that he will come back to take us there with him. And so as we close, I just want to meditate on the words of this famous hymn. And I want to encourage you to use this hymn this week as our prayer, as we're moving forward here, thinking about Christ's sacrifice on a cross for all of us. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Wretched, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And while I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us to at least come to understand in a small measure how incredible your sacrifice, how incredible your sacrifice on our behalf was. We thank you for it. We ask that you would go with us this week as we seek to live in a way that would lead others to your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.